Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. Welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I am Peter Bregman, and we have a special treat today on a number of levels. First of all, I've never done an in-person podcast before, and this is my first in-person podcast. Second of all, we have a treat because the uh, first in-person podcast is with my brother, Bertie Bregman, Dr. Bertie Bregman. Bertie, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. And Bertie's an interesting guest on a number of different levels because he is, he's a physician, He has started his own physician's practice. He started a number of offices around the city, and he's now also started a uh, internet startup business uh, related to the practice. And so I think there's a lot of interesting stories around leadership and around kind of building a business and entrepreneurialism that we'll get uh, that we'll get in our conversation today. So anyway, dude, thank you for being here. I hope you're. Viewers can tell the difference between us. Yeah, and I, I, I sometimes wear clothes just like that. Um, so here's what I want to do is I want to start with, with the beginning, really, right? Which is, you know, you became, in fact, let's even start earlier than the beginning of you being a doctor, which is you went to college, you majored in history, you, um, after college, decided, oh, I might as well do a back, uh, uh, start to do my pre-med after college and you decided to be a doctor. What, why did you make that decision? Well, I was never really science-oriented as a kid or in college. I was much more interested in liberal arts and I majored in history. I um, had a mentor in college named Gloria Emerson who was a famous journalist for the New York Times. So she was a, a big influence and a mentor and she got me a job at Magnum Photos Uh, as a photo researcher after college, and I did that sort of photojournalism thing for a while, um, and then realized that I wanted a little bit more intellectual sort of challenge and stimulation. Um, Went back and did a post-bac program at uh, Columbia, Uh and um, then I went to med school at Penn and chose family medicine. Should I keep going? Well, I'm kind of curious whether it was, I'm curious, like emotionally, whether like making that decision. How old were you when you went to, um, when you did the pre-med? So pre-med was, I guess I was 23, 24. I graduated med school 26, so I started med oh, school so 23. It, it's still, still relatively young. I mean, you, yeah. you, were, you were a few years older than the people in your class, but you were Not too much older, right, yeah, right, maybe right. like three or four years right, older. Right. Okay. Yeah. There were so, some post-bac students who were much older, Right. but I wasn't one of those. Right. Okay, so you go to med school, and you make a decision to go into family practice. Right. Why? I was a generalist in nature, mm-hmm. and I liked to see a lot of different things, lots of different areas. I didn't, wasn't interested in specializing in uh, a narrow field too much. Right. Um, and so for me, it was between, it sort of narrowed it down to family medicine versus emergency medicine. Right. And I almost went into emergency medicine. If you remember, I actually mm-hmm. applied for residencies in emergency right. medicine. And um, what happened was um, I was very torn and I looked at some of the older doctors in both professions and I realized that the ER doctors were all pretty much burned out. 
Whereas the family medicine doctors were very happy having to do, I think, mostly with the fact that they had developed longitudinal relationships, sometimes over generations, with um, their patients. Right. And that was very, you know, long after the technical challenge of practicing medicine wears off, the relationship endures and never becomes old. And, you know, in emergency medicine, that relationship is very sort of fleeting right. and intermittent, whereas in family medicine, um, and, and it turned out to be true, for me, you I have found that you, know, you have relationships with people that are you know, yeah. tremendously um, important. Right. You know, it's interesting because if I'm also remembering correctly, family practice was not, not a big field. There weren't a lot of people going into family practice. It's, you know, family medicine is um, a funny field in some ways because it's probably the most visits to a doctor in the United States to a specialty are to family medicine doctors, but mostly it's concentrated in the Midwest and um, in areas of the country, not so much the urban areas of the like country. Like more like town doctors. Like right, got, small right. town doctors right. or rural doctors right. or country doctors. Um, and but um, there was a, definitely a demand and a niche to be filled. And um, so that's what we did with Westside right. Family Medicine in New York. It's interesting. I think it was Dan Ariely who, um, writing about how to make decisions, that generally we are very bad at making decisions, at projecting how we will feel about something in the future. Like, right. like if you say, how will I feel winning the lottery? You're going to say you love it. You talk to people who won the lottery. In the end, they're not so happy. I mean, still, we would like to win the lottery, but that's, you know, sort of, sort of if you project how you're going to feel about an experience, you're not very good. But the way to actually accurately predict how you'll feel is to look at people who've made that decision and see how they feel. That's interesting. Well, right. then I really, like, lucked out because that was that's my what you instinct did. That was do. your instinct, right. Yeah. Right. The other thing is I like the other people in family medicine, and I right. think that I often tell medical students that, you know, you're going to be spending your life around these people that right. are in your field and different types of personalities tend to gravitate toward different fields. Right. So More, if worst right. of the worst you end up in a field where you like the people there, whatever happens you won't be that unhappy. Right. That's a good way of thinking about it. If you remember I was thinking about becoming a lawyer at a certain point and part of the decision of my not becoming a lawyer is I worked for a summer in a law firm, small law firm in New Jersey, and every single one of the partners was having an affair. <laughs> and I thought, and I also I looked like, and I projected and I was like, ah, this is not how I want to grow old. <laughs> like, this is not what I right. want my life to be. Okay, so you went to medical school, you chose family practice, and then you went as, you became director of family practice uh, at Columbia? Well, I met my wife during my okay. in internship, and Rachel was um, a medical student doing a rotation at my hospital. She was going to med school at Dartmouth uh -huh. and I was training in New York and so we met there right. and um, so when I graduated in family medicine she was still a family medicine. She ended up going into family medicine as well right. and um, she was still in training and so I took a job at Columbia as a director of the inpatient service so I was like a hospitalist which is not a very family medicine type of thing to do. Okay. Uh -huh. um, but, uh, but I loved it. It involved teaching, taking care of you know, sicker, hospitalized patients. Right. So the medicine was very challenging. And uh, I ended up loving the teaching as well. Right. Okay, so fast forward now, unless I'm going to miss something important, to when you decide to open your first practice. So we have um, 
So Rachel and I eventually had five kids, uh-huh. and um, sometime soon after the birth of my our first kid, uh-huh. Noah, she uh, we looked around and we realized um, Rachel realized that there were not really any good primary care practices in our neighborhood, and she uh, Rachel has a very entrepreneurial spirit. She's always sort of thinking about sort of the next thing to do, right. and she had the idea that we should open a practice. So I went to, uh, we decided that we would do that. And right. I went to, um, well, I guess maybe it was around that time that <laughs> we went to you and we were like, we're thinking about opening a practice. What should we do? And the first thing you said was, oh, well, you have to do a business plan. So Rachel and I looked at each other and said, yeah, a business plan. Yeah, we're not doing a business plan. <laughs> we don't even know what a business plan is. <laughs> so well, then what happened? What's your but memory you, of that? My memory of it is actually you did you didn't do a business plan, but I basically said in back the back of the envelope. I was like, it, it was like you need a spreadsheet. Like right. you need to work out the numbers. You need right. to sort of see what it's going to cost and etc. Right. And I was with my family in Walt Disney World, and you were in Florida for some reason. I do I can't remember. remember what it was. We were in a hotel room. We were in a hotel room yeah. in, in in the hotel in Disney World, and we talked about it. And I don't know if you remember this, but you showed me a spreadsheet. Yeah. And and we kind of looked down the spreadsheet, and the numbers looked good. You know, like right. it, it looked like uh, it was a smart thing to open up a practice. Right. Right. So that's what we did. Right. Um, and we. So we, the point is, by the way. You, you weren't super business minded. You didn't know, you, you weren't, you know, you didn't have this necessarily entrepreneurial, maybe you had an entrepreneurial drive, certainly, because you do, but, but you didn't know much about business at that point. Absolutely. We knew so little about business <laughs> that it would be embarrassing to tell you some of the mistakes that we made in well, the I, beginning. I think you should tell us some of the mistakes well, we made. Well, I will say, <laughs> first of all, I will say that Rachel is got a natural inclination for business. She has very right. good business instincts. Right. And that's probably what sort of saved us more than anything. Right. We were into it too. Right. And I think that in many ways, it is not a lie to say that if we had known what we were getting into, we probably wouldn't have done it. There are ways in which knowing a lot about something is really important. Like, I, I don't think you would argue that as a physician, as a doctor, and you're my doctor, right? So I obviously trust you. But as a doctor, I'm hoping you know a lot about diagnostics, you know, like as a diagnostician and you know a lot about medicine. But there are certain things that we do that we're better off being a little ignorant about because, right. because if we know too much, we won't actually go forward. And, there's, and like possibly starting a business, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that I talk to who would say the same thing, which is like, had I known? In fact, I run a leadership program, and the two things people say about it most often is, had I known what these last four days were going to be like, I never would have come, right. and it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. Right. Right. Well, and I think those two things have to go together in some ways, because unless you're going to surprise yourself and like do something that you never really thought you would do beforehand, then you're probably not going to get to the other side and go, wow, that was the best thing I've ever done because it sort of surprises you. I mean, it's interesting you bring that up because it makes me think, well, then what is the difference with medicine? Because when I think about it, I mean, I would never practice medicine like that. 
I right. would never sort of treat somebody with the feeling like, well, I don't know what I'm getting myself into here, but right. I'm just going to go for it. Let's just you try know? this drug. Yeah, try. I don't know what it does. Right. Like, you know, you want to know everything there is to know right. about what you're doing right. before. But we didn't really feel that way about medicine, right. about, about uh, opening a practice. Business. We right. sort of were kind of arrogant about right. it. And we kind of thought, you know what? How hard could it be? You know, we'll <laughs> hang a shingle, we'll see patients, we'll try and make sure the money that comes in is like a bigger number than the money that goes out. <laughs> but you and know what? And that's what we did. In the end, that's actually, and a lot of people don't do that. <laughs> a lot of people don't do that and their businesses die. So, you know, if you don't know anything else, to just know we got to make, which is why you do a spreadsheet, we right. got to know that the money coming in is higher than the right. money going out. And the other thing like, is, it was already our money. profound. It was our money. Right. So I right. guess maybe that's a one distinction with medicine too. Right. I mean, when I'm treating someone else, you know, that person's life or health right. is at stake. Right. So, you know, I have a much lower threshold for taking risks. Right. But, you know, we felt like, you know what, it's our money. We can do whatever we want with it. Right. You know, worst to the worst, if, you know, this ends up being a big mistake, we're not hurting anyone except for ourselves. Right. So let's just go for it. Let's take the risk. You know, what I wonder also is, and I'm curious about this for you, is whether you sort of have this balance, like... Which is not the case with Quell, by the way, which we'll get to. Which we're going to get yeah. to in a second. So there, I wonder if, in a way, like medicine is sort of stable and it's interesting, but it's it's not risky for you in a certain sense because you're not going to take risks with patients that you shouldn't take. So I wonder whether this balance is sort of important for you in your life and, and for Rachel also to say, we're going to spend our life in a practice doing the stuff that we know really well and we're going to study and we're not going to take huge risks in. And then that gives us an appetite to take risks in this other thing that, you know, like it, that balances out. Like we're going to be grounded here and we're going to take risks over there. Do you think that plays into it at all? It might. I don't know. I think, um, you know, I personally find medicine to be hugely satisfying. I right. don't ever really want to stop practicing and in many, for many reasons that maybe would be the topic of another podcast one day. Right. You know, it's something that I don't feel there's a whole lot missing from medicine. Right. Including, you know, risk. So why start a business? Well... In this case, we didn't really have much choice. Well, no, in terms of the... the oh, with the, with yeah, the practice. Yeah, like why start your practice? Why not just work in medicine? You love medicine. Why not? It's safer. It's easier. Why not just practice family medicine? Right. Partly it's because we just saw an opportunity. Right. And so we thought, let's just take that opportunity. You know, right. there's... We were excited by the idea of bringing family medicine into an area where there really was no family medicine right. for a large segment of the population. For the most part, family medicine existed in New York right. for the underserved population in Medicaid clinics right. and in residency programs. Right. But you know, people who had insurance and who had jobs on like the sort of middle and higher end of the socioeconomic spectrum for them, there wasn't any really good primary care, honestly, that we could see. Right. There right. really wasn't. I right. mean, if you had Medicaid, you got great primary care from great family practice doctors. Right. But if you had insurance, then where are you going to find a primary care doctor? It was They were very few and far between, to tell you the truth, in New York. So there wasn't a lot of places there for you to get a job doing it, actually, in some ways. For us? Yeah. No, I mean, we had good jobs, right. and we liked our jobs, but we saw an opportunity to sort of bring the model to a whole new population. Right. And for us, that was very exciting because right. we believed in family medicine. Right, right, right. 
And, uh, and it turned out to be really true. We never spent a dime. I mean, actually, we did spend about a dime on <laughs> advertising. We bought, right. um, I think, a blog. And we bought like a, a little line of advertising in a, sort of a mother's blog. Uh-huh. And for like $25, and that was all the money we ever spent on advertising. Right. Although with you, you also have insurance. You take insurance. So that helps to build a business because people have for insurance sure. are looking for For sure. Family. We got a lot of patients some insurance, right. Right. a lot of patients some word of mouth. Right. And then eventually we got also patients from a company that did online booking. Right. Okay. And so that brings us to this new business that you've been starting, that you've started, called Quell. And, and so you're never going to be able to argue that you don't have some element of entrepreneurial spirit, even if you're forced into doing these businesses, because you're, you know, you're going from business to business. But, but tell me, like, first of all, you've got three offices? Three offices, yeah. Three offices. You've got lots of doctors who are working for you, and you guys are really good. I mean, I'm not, I don't say this just because we're on a podcast. I say it because, you know, I'm... Because you're, you're my, my doctor. No, I'm, right. I'm not just saying because you're my brother, but because, like, you're my doctor. Um, but... But now you've started another business. So what happened? So what happened was we uh, started using a online booking system that came to us about 10 years ago. Uh -huh. We were always very open to tech. Right. And we started practicing right at the beginning of where people were using EMRs sort of on a regular basis. EMR? You know, uh, um, electronic medical records. Uh -huh. A lot of people were still writing on paper. Medicine right. was one of the last industries to switch over to computerization and did a very bad job of it in many ways. Right. But we were always very tech forward and we liked the idea of having a paperless office and using an electronic medical right. record and we were always early adopters of systems we thought would help us, right. but um, we were discriminating as to what we wanted to start to use. Right. We didn't really, we were wary, I think as most doctors are, of adopting systems that were just going to add to our administrative burden, which was already big enough, right. as it is for all doctors and especially primary care doctors. Right. So, but this system of online booking seemed pretty good, so we signed up for it. It was free at first, and then, like, all free things, so many free things, eventually we ended up having to pay for it. Right. But we grew with them over the last 10 years, um, and into a sizable practice where right. now, you know, we had one office, two offices, three, four. So we have four offices. Okay. Two of them are in the same site. Oh, so right, right, that's right. really, but we open them every couple of years. We open an office. Right. And um, that was really just organic growth. We right. never sort of grew faster than we needed sort of more space. Right. In other words, which is very different than a lot of business models today. Right. Um, right. So then... Um, so we were very happy using this system, and it brought us a lot of patients. And then? And then what happened was uh, they had been charging a flat subscription fee. Right. And they came to us one day, and they said, we're changing our model, and now we're charging per patient. Right. So per patient, because you had a pretty big practice, and you have these four different offices, and you're getting a lot of... Per patient increases your costs... 10x. 10x. Okay. 10x. Right. So that was completely unaffordable. Right. But we've been with them for 10 years. We thought, well, okay, I mean, we'll just talk to them and work something out. 
And um, but it was upsetting. Yeah. And no, you know, I remember pretty you were. You, I, I, we had a bunch of conversations about bunch it. Bunch of conversations with you. Yeah. It went up. You were, you know, super stressed out because you also get a lot of got a lot of business from the on. We got a lot of patients from them, right. and we didn't really think that it would ever be. Sort and they of had a monopoly. Realistic, not Meaning to they use really them. had a monopoly. And they had a monopoly, right. right? They had a monopoly. There was right. no, there were no real other competitors in the space. Right. Which so they was had an ability to a say, surprise okay. to us. We right. never really thought about it one way or the other. Right. But then when it, it came to this pricing move, we right. first thing we did was obviously look around for competitors, and right. we saw that there really were none. Right. So the second thing we thought was, well, we'll negotiate with them. I mean, everybody negotiates. Right. Um, and we spent many hours talking to you. Rachel and I really relied on you a lot for advice during this period. That we were, it was very stressful for us. It was a very stressful period. And, you know, you really got a front row seat to the I, whole thing. Yes, I did. <laughs> and um, it was a very large source of sort of patient flow right. for us. Right. And to sort of suddenly lose that was not something we'd ever right. really considered that right. it would happen. So we deserve what we got because we allowed ourselves to become overly dependent on one vendor right. that turned out to be, for us, very unreliable. Right. And by the way, you're not alone, right? This happens in business all the time. In other areas. Yeah, in yeah. other areas. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was one lesson learned. Right. Don't become too reliant on one, right. on one company, on one vendor. Right. So, but we thought, of course, we'll be able to negotiate with them. Like, but we thought, well, maybe we should take somebody along with us who <laughs> actually knows something about negotiating with, you know, big companies and with, you know, like business people. So we turned right. to you and we said, okay, Peter, we went know, to that meeting. Together. Come to that meeting with us. You know, we, so we went to the you know headquarters of this company and mm -hmm. met with all their top people, or some of their top people. And uh, what was your memory of that meeting? I mean, my memory was walking out of, well, my memory was twofold. One is really listening and having conversations with them about it and trying to, trying all these different angles of how they might be flexible in some way around, you know, the amount of time you would have for a transition or right. the give cost us more time, or give us more time. Give or us a break on like cost. Give us a bit, you know, the, the, if you bring in phase X number, in. phase it in. If right. you and, and, and it and it dawned on me, um, about halfway through the meeting, oh, and this is so interesting because when you have these conversations, you're like, we went in there trying to figure out what's going on, like right. what's like what's going on, and it dawned on me about halfway through the meeting, oh, they don't care whether you stay with them or not, because their belief is you can't live without them. Or if you did, then the patients that were coming to you from them would just go to other people. So they would make money from these patients going to whoever else they're going to go to. You're the only one who stands to lose. So they're like, you could stay with us or not stay with us. But it didn't matter to them because their belief was that it wouldn't hurt their bottom line if one of their, you know, you know a, a, a doctor who's seeing a ton of patients disappeared. It would be more to spread around to everybody else. And so then I realized halfway through that meeting, oh, they're not actually interested in, in making any kind of deal. But I also remember walking out and saying to you, if I weren't in that meeting with you, I wouldn't have believed that that's what happened. Yeah, you said, if you had told me about that and I wasn't there, I wouldn't have believed it. Right, right. Which coming from someone who's been to, what, hundreds of meetings yeah, yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah, Thousands of meetings right, like that? Right. It's kind of interesting. There was a level of arrogance 
in the you know on the other side that sort of stunned me a little bit but it's in some ways is not so unusual sometimes in startup companies but they're not really a startup anymore I don't know. It it, it it surprised me. It really surprised right. me. Okay, so but we had that meeting, a, you know, it, but it became very... What was great about it is... It, it was be- a clarifying moment. Exactly. Yeah, it was a very clarifying moment, which actually is great. And I am very thankful that we had that moment because that's the reality. So the sooner we get to see the reality and not fool ourselves that really there is some room for negotiation right. or they'll right. come around or whatever right. it is... I mean, they couldn't have made it more clear that we need an alternative right. and we better find one soon. Right, which is actually very which interesting, is great. which is yeah. really helpful, which is, which is so. really helpful. If they had strung it along and maybe we'll do it and et cetera, right. you would it have been would in have trouble. Been, right, we could have just, you know, like hoped. kicked the can down right. the road. Right, right, right. So it was so clear now, we didn't we So you had a decision that. you needed to make. Right. So we looked around for a competitor and we're, you know, very surprised to find that there really were no competitors. Right. Which is how which a lot is of businesses kind of, start, right? Which like is kind of shocking in the because, I mean, everybody has a competitor. Right. I mean, think of all the different companies. I mean, right. it's hard to think of a company without lots of competitors. Right, right. And there are a few small ones here or there, right. some other alternatives that were uh, not really, we didn't really see them as uh, really realistically sort of likely to replace right. the role that that company was playing for us. Right. Like, for instance, calendar apps that could go into your website. But for various reasons, there really wasn't. So we so, thought it to ourselves, okay, if we're going to spend that huge amount of money you know, to pay to them, why not just develop something for ourselves? Which actually, in a certain sense, it's interesting because it's occurring to me, because it cost you a lot to build the system that you built. And had you not been comparing it to this huge amount you would have had to pay them. Right. It might have been much harder for you to invest the amount of money. You, you know, like it's basically like, okay, you're going to have to pay them. I don't know if, can we say the amount? I don't know if you can say the amount. But, a lot. But, but yeah, like, like a, lot. Uh, a lot of money. And you would have to pay them that. So it sort of increased the bar of what you would be willing to invest as an alternative. Right. And so that was actually interesting. The second thing we have to be thankful to them for. Right. Right. Number one, they're very clarifying as to you know, their unwillingness to negotiate. Right. Number two, they were not making it possible for us to tighten our belts and continue going along with them. Right. It wasn't an option, right. which is really great. Right. And I really am very thankful to them for that. But you know, I really, yeah, I really, really appreciate that, right. that move right. because let's say they had said, oh yeah, you know, it's true, you know, increasing your cost 10x in one day, that's just not reasonable. Why don't we spread it out over the next, you know, 24 months? Right. You know, maybe we would have said, I don't know if we can do that, but certainly it'll be okay for the next six months. So let's right. just like go along for six right. months and then see what happens. Right. The next thing you know, right. you know, you're being strung along. So, but it, so one of the lessons here for me is like not only it's sort of the lobster boil, right? It's like if you're <laughs> if you're boiling a lobster right. really slowly, they don't notice it. Right. So, but. But to re so so you were helped by the fact that they were just you know they were throwing you into boiling water they right. weren't slowly warming it up yes um, but also the ability to really see a situation as starkly as possible allows you to make decisions that you wouldn't make otherwise yeah and and it's like you could you know it's almost like find a way to be thankful to a competitor or to somebody who does something to you that seems really harsh in the moment, instead of wasting your time in like revenge fantasies and anger, 
Like, well, actually, we did you're, waste a lot yeah, of time right. on that too. But this becomes the revenge <laughs> fantasy. Like, the, you know, success is the best revenge. Okay, so, so you decide you're going to invest a bunch of money in creating uh, our a, own system. Your own system. So describe, describe what you did. So, well, first of all, I have to, you know, bring back Rachel back into the picture. I right. mean, she was She's like critical a, to I mean, piece of it. Yeah, what was your yeah. perspective of it? My perspective was she was driving this. She was driving this. Right. She was like, you know, this is what we have to do. Right. And, you know, she right. really like, when she sets her mind on something. And it is know, amazing. Like, so this done. is also something about starting a business because you've started a business incredibly quickly while you're running your other business. Right. And I think every single conversation I had with her over a period of, you know, four or five months was about this. And, and still when is. I was, and still <laughs> is. And when I wasn't in a conversation and I heard her talking to someone else, it was about that. So there right. is this like element of obsession when you're starting something that's actually really useful. Yeah. And is, you know, it's like hard to lead without that. Right. Kind of and that's obsession. definitely more her personality than, than my personality. Yeah. So I may maybe have a little bit more of a naturally balanced But I do remember uh, we were in Florida. Um, we were in Florida at the same time around Passover. And I was, and, and Eleanor, my wife, and I went down and you guys were at the pool and you were talking to some people that you had met the year before and you were talking about quell and then Eleanor and I left and we went to an exercise class for an hour and then we went to the beach for an hour and we came back and you guys were all at the pool talking about quell right. and I was like that's staying power that's you know but it's but yeah. I, what also what happened is as she talks about it and as you talk about it you're crystallizing it and you're figuring out holes and you're working through problems. Like it's not just let me tell you about this. It's like figuring right. out how to make it successful. It's that very kind of much the process. Very helpful. It's yeah. very, very much the process. Right. The more people you describe it to, the more questions you right. take about it. And people say this about pitches too, which we're right. finding now as we're raising money for it. The more pitches that we do, sort of the more clear, clear the idea is in our own heads right. and the more better able we are to sort of describe it to somebody yeah. else. That's great. So, um, okay, so you, you decide you're going to do it, you obsess over it, you have to spend a lot of money. How does it feel, like, do you, do you feel the risk of it? Do you feel... Well, at one point I said to it? Rachel, this is just our new office. No, that's interesting. Every two years, you we've been a opening office. a new office. That costs a lot of money. Right. We try and we try and and, and do it in such a way oh, that it's really nice, right. and we generally try and buy the real estate as oh, opposed right. to renting. And so, you know, it costs. There's a big capital outlay. Right. And there's a big investment. There's a lot of work. And it was a really about. The, we were actually looking at another office down in Chelsea. Right. And um, we were looking at it, and then this happened. And as we started doing it, we just had too much on our plate and that right. kind of like fell by the wayside. And that's when I realized that said to Rachel one day, I was like, so this is our, this is our office. Right. And once we put it in those terms, it became a lot easier to spend the money because this is the amount of money we'd be spending anyway on an office. Well, actually, not as much. But right. still, in the basic you know, it's ideas. It's like behavioral like, yeah. economics, which is right. framing is everything. Right. So like how framing you frame everything. it, how you think right. about it. Right. So it's, that was one thing. And the other thing yeah. is like what you said before, which is that, you know, we would a lot would we much rather spend the money on this than like giving it to that other company. Right. right. So since they were asking for so much, right. it sort of gave us more to to work with. All right. So give us briefly what this is. Like now we've sort of built up to it. What's the So we weren't trying to reinvent the wheel here. We you know, we're work we're very happy. Wait, 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 you gotta give me the line that you gave before. Well, what, I, what we tell people is that we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. 
We're just trying to make it rounder. <laughs> I love that. Okay, you're just trying to make a rounder. We're just trying to make it better. And I left out that that was part of our process. As we talked about, so what we wanted to do for ourselves, right. it just became sort of exciting to think about ways in which we can make it better, not just for us, but for everyone. Right, right. Because we were not the only people in the situation. Rachel and I know a lot of doctors in New York. Right. And every single doctor that we knew who was associated with this other company right. felt the same way that we did about it. Right. So there was a sort of a groundswell of, you know, so the, it's an resentment it's an that we thought, wow, time. I mean, like, we just, right. we should take advantage of this. Right. And, you know, we should sort of offer to these other doctors whatever we're thinking is going to help us, why not sort of make it more widely available and right. help them too? Right. So, so that's what we did. So we, and we thought about all sorts of different ideas and ways to make it better. And it was an evolution. It really, there were lots of different aspects that sort of came and went as right. we kind of worked through the model. But basically the idea is that um, you have a platform that patients are able to go on, find a doctor based on specialty, book an appointment with that doctor very easily, in one sort of step, kind of like... Well, and the, and the underlying idea is, I mean, one of the things that I like about it is, like, I go to you and I say, who, who should I go... Like, I, you're like, yeah, I can see you, but if I need to go to a specialist, who's the best? Who would, who would you go to? Who would you send me to? Right. And, and I love... I could also call you at midnight. But I like those elements of having a doctor in the family. Right. And so you're... You, like, it's, it feels like you were working to replicate that relationship. Right. And that's our motto, like having a doctor in the family. Right. So meaning everything, in, in order to get on the site... The doctor has to be recommended by another doctor. Right. So there's a higher level of quality that's baked into the system right. in that it's not just come one, come all. Anybody who wants can join. Just right. you have to pay your money. Right. But um, you are invited to join the system by virtue of the fact that other doctors want to send you patients and right. trust you with their friends, their family, and their patients of their own. Right. So, uh, by, so see, any doctors on the site, these are doctors that have been recommended by other doctors. Right. And um, one of the features that you're talking about, which is cool, is that each doctor has a profile on Quell and can list other doctors and other specialties that they like to send patients to. Right. And so their patients can go on their profile page and find those doctors. If you want to know what, let's say, dermatologist I would send to, you can go on my profile page on Quell, and you can see the dermatologists I like to send patients to. Right. And it could be more than one. It could be so two I don't or need, three. So if I don't have an insurance plan that requires that you give me a referral, right. I, I don't have to even bother you. I could just go look at it. Right. You don't have right. to call my office. Right. You don't have to text me. I right. mean, you probably would anyway. I would. But <laughs> you can just go online and find it. Right. Obviously, it's not meant to replace. If you need a referral, right. then that just would oh, have right. to be done. Right. Uh, but um, so that's one aspect right. of the system. So the platform, the idea was to use the platform, this booking platform, right. to not only allow patients to book with doctors, but to allow doctors to book with other doctors. Right. So that if I have a patient in my right. room who I would like to see a particular specialist, I can book an appointment for that patient with the specialist while they're in my office. Right. And that's um, a new idea that doesn't exist at this right. time. Well, and you were describing to me the time when you when someone you needed to refer someone and you literally went 
on the computer and you go, okay, so I'm going to refer you to this person. Is that good? It's in your neighborhood. It's someone that I would recommend. Uh, How's 1030 a.m. for an appointment tomorrow? Right. Right. And they were like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. They loved it. They loved it. Like patients love it. Patients love it. Because how does the system work today? I want to send you to someone. I give you a slip of paper. Right. I send you off. Right. And 60% of the time, according to the data that's available, Uh 60% of the time, you don't end up in that other doctor's office for whatever reason. Right. So there are a lot of problems with that. Right. First of all, is that the actual statistic? That is. And, you know, there are a lot of problems. I mean, first of all, that's a lot of lost visits for the specialists. Right. That's, you know, if I want you to see another doctor... There's a reason. There's a reason why. And so if you don't go and see that doctor, that's bad for me. Right. It's bad for you. Right. It's bad for him. I mean, it's not really good for anybody. Right, right, right. Unless you never really need to see the doctor in the first place. Well, no, it's also behavioral economics, which is that if you... You know, it's, it's like what I always say, which is that if you want to make a change, rather than train or develop, or you create an environment that makes it more likely that you're going to follow through. Right. So actually, literally, by the time you leave an office, having an appointment in your calendar for what you're going to do next right. is, and if you decide, there's a lot of research that says if you decide when and where you're going to do something, you're much more likely to do it. They did this research where they had women do breast cancer checks, self, self-check there for breast cancer. Um, sometime during the next month, 53% of them did it. Right. Tell me when and where in the next month you're going to do it. 100% of them did it. Right. So like if you decide when and where you're going to do something, chances are you're going to actually do it. Right. So that's interesting. Right. So that's one element of the right. system. So, you know, we were able to go to other doctors who, who we knew were in right. the same position as us. Right. And we can say, okay, you know, we have a system. It's very similar, but has a lot of differences. Right. It's cheaper. It makes you less reliant on that other system, right. which, believe me, is a good thing right. to be less reliant on one system. It is um, a little bit higher quality because there's an element of curation that goes into the system. Right. And um, it has this whole other channel for patient flow, which is from one doctor to another, not just from the Internet to right. the doctor himself. So really, there are a lot of advantages to it, and you know, we just we developed it. it. The whole process of really like diving into the startup world and hiring programmers. Yeah, and, so I want to talk. We we have to wrap up here, but I want to just briefly talk about that element, right? Yeah. Which is like you're taking a huge risk and you're stepping into a world that you know nothing about again. Right. Right. So. And you're finding out stuff sometimes the hard way, right. like you're making mistakes. Right. Well, and... it's been it, that has been an incredibly fun adventure. It right. has been, and you know, Rachel is the CEO of the company, and she's right. doing this full time now. Right. I cut back to half time seeing patients, and the other half I'm doing this. And really, right. when I'm seeing patients, I'm sort of doing this too because I'm sort of using the system every single day. Right. And looking for bugs, and seeing how patients like it, seeing right. how other doctors like it. Right. And we've had. A lot of success. I mean, we only launched on July 1st, right. so it's only been a month. But we've um, so far have more than more than 70 doctors on the system, and mm-hmm. we're using it every single day, and it's working really great. Um, right. And we're getting great response from people. But like the whole process of learning about computer programming and working with programmers, working with PR marketing people. And how much do you know about programming? Zero. Right. I know nothing about. So how do you know you're hiring the right programmers? How do you know you're like? What, how do you have, know you're not throwing money away? Because we have like 
where we were spending a lot of money on it. But I mean, that's a, was more expensive than we ever thought. Right. The pro, you know, the the tech development part. Right. But uh, we love our developers, and we are very happy with um, how how that's been going. Right. So right. I mean, you know, the proof is in the pudding. It's not like it's not like really your opinion so much of. If the there's if clear measurables, the system right. and give you realistic expectations, right. and the system works, and you're you have you understand that there are going to be bugs, and the right. bugs are fixed in a reasonable amount of right. time, then you're happy. So one of the reasons why I like having this conversation with you now, and maybe we'll have a conversation again in a year, or so, you know, or six months or something as this thing progresses, but um, because you're in the middle of your risk right now, right? Like you you've you've put a bunch of money in, you put a ton of energy and effort in, you built the system, you're talking to people about it, you're bringing doctors on, you're bringing on investors. Like, I, I kind of want to ask you just what it feels like to be in, in this moment in time. Like, you know, you've done a lot, you've brought it to market in, in an incredibly short amount of time, right? Like you had to, because you had right. a timeline where, I mean, it was like, again, one of the, so let's add this to the favor that this other company did for you which is there was a cutoff date at which you would have to start paying a ton of money. And so that was the date at which you were working backwards from. And then a lot of other people were going And a lot of other people were working backwards from. Yeah. So, so you brought it very, very quickly. I'm kind of curious if you take a minute to just go like, how does it feel right now in this moment? Maybe you're less in the risk than you were two months ago when you didn't have a product. Like now you have a product and you know it works and you know people are... Are, are buying it, right? You know, people are signing up for it and involved in it and engaged right. with it. But like, how does it feel to be in that risk? It feels really exciting. It's a little bit scary because now we're taking other people's money. Right. And so, and these are people Is that we... Is this the first time you've taken other people's yeah, money? Yeah, we've never really had to raise money in a serious way from other people. Right. And it's definitely... An acquired skill. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's not something that comes naturally to either one of us. Right, right. Because... I mean, Rachel and I are a great couple because we have extremely complementary skills right. in most areas. Uh-huh. But in this particular case, neither one of us are sort of like natural fundraiser right. types. So, And what that, about the fundraising? Just name one or two things about the fundraising. It's just then. very hard to ask people for money, people that you know, right. because, you know, you have to... And you're doing right now friends and family. We're so doing, it's all fr- people we're doing you friends know. and family, so it's, it's mostly people, people that we know. I mean, we truly believe that as long as they understand the risks, we're offering an opportunity. Right. We're right. not sort of asking people to give us money um, as a favor. Right. And we wouldn't want anybody to do right. that. Right. We wouldn't want money as a favor. Right. As, and, but, right. You know, but on the other hand, you're still having to ask for money. So right. it's like it's not easy fundraising. But, right. uh, but if you truly believe that you're giving them an opportunity and if you truly believe they're going into it with eyes open, because right. the risk, of course, is huge. Right. And that you have skin in the game that's like greater than any of them. Right. Then it makes it easier. Right. But it doesn't sort of, you know, it's still sort of, it's still a learning process. Does it's still it, a learning curve. I'm curious if it increases your, um, or if it changes in any way your, like, need for this to be successful. Like, I don't know if I'm asking this question right, but if it's like, if you feel more pressure to make this succeed or less, or it's the same. I mean, you have a lot of your money in it anyway. Yeah, but no, like, I, think I'm it's, I think it's the same. I think we are as committed as you can, you can possibly be, be anyway, as you right. can possibly be to sort of do what right. we need to do in order to right. make it successful. Right. 
So because it's interesting because you're doing really something that's that's industry wide, but also something you need for your business. Like your your business right. needs this. So it's like you're creating a product right. that you absolutely need, and then you're opening it up for other people to use too. Although it is interesting that I'll I'll share with you that. I mean, just with me. Over, this is just between you and just me. Just between you and me. Over <laughs> that, over fifty percent of our patients right. were flowing through that other system. Right. And so we stood to maybe we were thinking, well, is that the number of patients that we're going to lose? Right. In reality, we only really are down about ten percent. But right. you know, now I mean, we are. Which also, by the way, goes to the point, which is even while you're running this new business, you can't slack in any way on like if this is you see this in organizations all the time where there's like it, a business almost becomes a legacy business because that's like the right. cash cow business and this is the other businesses the right. risk and it's and you can lose attention on this business in order to focus on that other business you you, you can't afford to lose well not only that but the, the synergies are incredible right. between those two i mean right. there really are in in many ways just like a perfectly synergistic, they're completely separate businesses, right. but very totally synergistic. synergistic. Yeah, right. so I don't think that that, right. that wouldn't happen. It's not like our attention is, is focused on one to the exclusion of right, the right, other. Right. It's all sort of uh, very much connected. Right. Uh, but I think um, I was going to say that what's very sort of strong motivator for both of us uh-huh. is that um, we're excited to be doing something new and something that we think are really, is really going to benefit other doctors. Right. You know, because what one of our other mottos is it's by doctors for doctors. Right. And that's also something well, that and, doesn't exist in a lot of areas. Right. You know, and it doctors, also comes back to your personal thing, which is, you know, you went into family practice because you kind of like the doctors. Like you kind of want to be in a community of people that you really enjoy I like being doctors. with. Yeah, you yeah, like doctors. I like, right? I like doctors. Right. And right. I don't, I feel like in so many areas of medicine, doctors are getting squeezed from all sides. Right. And so we're excited to be sort of offering an alternative to right. them that they can benefit from. And right. we're excited to sort of design it in the way that we know they would like because we are them. Right. We know this industry inside and out. We've been practicing in it for you know more than ten years. Right. So we know what's frustrating. We more know what's years. fun. You've been practicing well, it for as in private years. practice. Right. I mean, right. in the private practice, yeah, more yeah, yeah. than ten years. Right, right, right. So we know it inside and out, and it's fun right. to be able to design a system where we know sort of exactly what's good about it and right. what needs to be improved. Right. Final, any final thoughts, any final like learnings that you have or, you know, we're talking to an audience, we're talking in front of an audience who are very focused on leadership and very focused on like these, these themes that we've been talking about, about taking risks and finding opportunities and pursuing them and kind of, you know, facing the possibilities of failure or obstacles that you have to kind of get around. Like all of these themes are the themes that leaders and organizations focus on all the time. I think, well, one thought I, I have is that I feel that the context that you're operating in, the partners that you have, the social circles that you're in, right. really are a big determinant to success, at least I think for us. I, I, don't, I for sure would not be doing this without Rachel. Right. She might be doing this without me, but I would not be doing this without her. And neither one of us would be doing this without 
you and you know Anthony, our other brother, mm -hmm. and all the other friends and family that we have that we're able to draw on. Right. So it's like that cliche of you know it. I'm not even going to use that. It takes a dose of cliche, but it is. It does remind me of something that um, Obama would you know had said, which is for successful business to you know to work like great you did a successful business and this is far from successful let me i'm not putting myself in this category yeah. yet you know one day maybe <laughs> but not yet but for a successful business to happen the roads have to be built and the lights have to work and right. there has to be police and right. there has to be security right. and right. there has to be a lot of other things in place so right. you know these are um privileges so the, that right. we have that i that i don't think it would be realistic to expect we could be doing something like this without them. And the myth of like the solo entrepreneur who right. breaks out and independently, like that's, that's actually a myth. Like you, you, and you feel the support of people around you. As right. You, yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a myth on the one hand, you do need to have, I, I, I feel like you need to have, you know, a, a drive, tremendous like amount, amount of, of you know, like motivation yeah. and, you know, persistence. Right. But you also need to have the right environment to be working in. Right. Right. So we're lucky enough to have that. Well, thank you. We're talking with Dr. Bertie Bregman, my brother, who's, who's started a medical practice and opened up a bunch of offices and now has started with Quell. Rachel. With Rachel. With Rachel. With Rachel Bregman. Um, who is with their five kids at this point? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, this is we're, we're recording this now late in the evening. Now people are really going to think we're crazy. Yeah, right. <laughs> five kids. Well, it's it's uh, you've done a good job in all of it. Thank so, you. Um, so thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening. Here's what I've learned from working with some of the most successful leaders of the most successful companies. Every leader, every team, and every organization has a leadership gap. If you want to become a leader who inspires your team to get things done, then you've got to start by raising the level of your leadership abilities. You can start by taking our free leadership gap assessment at www.bregmanpartners.com forward slash quiz. Then dive deeper with a copy of my latest book, Leading with Emotional Courage. For more ways to become a truly great leader, check out our online offerings, in-person workshops and events, and my articles at www.bregmanpartners.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me today, and thanks to Claire Marshall for producing this episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.